Good to see each one here this morning. We have been studying from the book of 1 Corinthians for our Bible Bowl. And uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that uh, we would be studying at least one of our lessons on Sunday with regards to the material that our children are studying in Bible Bowl. Hopefully that it will spark some discussion in our families and in our homes, as well as the fact that we take some time to study a portion of God's Word. And this morning we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I have entitled this lesson, Keeping the Lock in Wedlock. You see, the truth of the matter is that the church at Corinth struggled with a number of different issues. They had problems with regards to moral issues. We observed that back in chapter 5. They also struggled with a number of doctrinal issues. They struggled with eating meat sacrificed to idols. They struggled with the Lord's Supper. They struggled with the resurrection. And all of these being things that were challenges to them. But I will point out to you, there is one notable thing about them that they did which was right. That is, they sought inspired direction. They listened to the men of God who had God's direction and guidance by the Holy Spirit. And uh, you and I would do well today if we did the same thing. We can't consult and call someone as they might would, but what you and I can do is to go to the writings that are written there by the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures and find our answers there. And there's so many things that potential prospects from marriage can learn from this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The more I read it, the more I'm convinced that we all need to study this chapter so that you and I can either plan to be the right kind of person to marry or after we've married to be the right kind of person in our homes. We're going to look at four things, and this is an outline of our lesson this morning. We're going to look, first of all, at starting out right. Marriage designed by God. How God intended the home would be organized. And then marriage staying right, marriage defended. Make sure that we understand that when God gave us his plan for marriage, it was good, it was right, it was what it needed to be. Number three, steering right. For some of them, marriage was denied. Some people were not to get married. And then finally, the last section, suspend right, that is marriage delayed for a few God said, you need to wait a while before you get married. Let's begin, first of all, let's look at verses 1 through 9. I encourage you to take your Bibles. Maybe there's some things that you want to take note of, some things that you want to observe. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of fornication... Let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to the wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time 
that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession and not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better for them to marry than to burn with passion. When you look at this section of Scripture, you realize that there has been a question asked. Paul says, concerning the things of which you wrote to me. How do we know what he wrote? Well, you have to reverse the process. Just like, for instance, if you're watching the uh, game show Jeopardy, they give you the answer and then you have to suppose what the question was. And here the question is, what about marriage? What about a man and a woman? Is it good for them to marry and... For those of us who are married, should we stay in our marriages, particularly those who are married to non-Christians? Well, the very first thing he says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And this is a euphemism. This is a figure of speech where you put it in a very polite way of saying, you don't need to have close relations If you go to the Old Testament, to Genesis chapter 20, verse 6, Abimelech was told that God did not allow him to touch Sarah. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 29, So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. The idea of touching there is, is more than just a person bumping up against someone. It is a more intimate thing than that. But you see, God knew all along the way he created man and the way he created woman. And God made some divine provision. And in his divine provision, he said, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. You see, marriage was designed by God for the very purpose of preventing fornication. He intended that that marriage relationship be an honorable one. Hebrews 13 and verse 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So he's saying God made a plan. He had a a design here that he wanted man to follow. But God also wanted within that marriage and within that home there to be a mutual affection between the husband and the wife. In fact, if there's a failure of it, he says that produces a temptation. He said you come back together again so that Satan doesn't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Husbands and wives need to realize that God had a plan in the way he created marriage. And if we want our marriages to be good, we want them to be successful, we want them to be happy, we're going to have to follow God's design for it as well. Some may have the willpower to remain single. And he speaks about people who have the gift that he himself did and the ability to not have a wife. But some may not have the willpower. And for those who have the scriptural right to marry, he said it'd be better for them to marry than to burn with passion. 
But now I want you to drop with me to verse 10 and let's go through verse 16. Because this section here now begins a defense of God's plan of marriage and the way that God wanted it to be kept together, if you will. Now to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And the husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And if a woman who is a husband who does not believe, and if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? You see, these questions were asked by those who were already married. Evidently, the first question was, what about our getting married? And Paul says God had a design for that. Now the question is, we are married, and what does God expect, and what does God want? And Paul states it very simply. The Lord taught that marriage was a commitment for life. That when you say, I do, you mean I will. And that you keep those promises that you made. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 6, we read about it. Jesus had been tested, asked by the Pharisees, if a man could divorce his wife for just any reason, here's his response in verse 4. He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. So then they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. You see, God is involved in the joining of the, the husband and the wife. And he's saying is, if you respect the Lord, then you remain faithful to that. You live up to those vows that you have made. But he also addresses the fact that about what happens when you have a Christian spouse married to a non-Christian spouse. And his answer is, there's an effect that that marriage has on that non-Christian spouse. How do you know, old oh man, whether or not you will save your wife? How do you know, old oh woman, whether or not you will save your husband? You need to realize the positive impact that a godly Christian spouse can have, not only on their spouse, but as you observe early upon the children. Good marriages produce good children. And good children can then further that in their own lives. And so marriage is defended. But now we get to a third section, verses 17 through 24, where marriage is denied. 
And you know, that's interesting because Paul is trying to explain a situation where some are being urged not to get married. Read with me, beginning with verse 17. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called is the Lord's slave, or who is called while a slave is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought with a price, therefore do not become the slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called. Now, Paul is putting it very plainly here that a person needs to remain in the situation they were when they became a Christian. Here you are in Corinth and you learn the truth and you're a single man. What is he saying you ought to do? You ought to remain single. What should you do if you were a, a circumcised Jew? You should remain as a circumcised man. What if you were called while you were a slave to someone? He said, remain a slave. In every situation that you find yourself, he said, you need to stay in that situation. And I know a lot of people saying, well, if that was the case, then nobody would ever marry. If you become a Christian and you stay in that situation, but you see there's a little more information found in verses 26 and 27. And in fact, this ought to be highlighted in your text because this shows you exactly why this is occurring. He says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress. That it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. The present distress. Whatever the events were happening in Corinth, they were such that it was best for those who were not married to refrain from marriage. So in that case, marriage was denied for them. For those who were already married, he said, don't get out of it. For them, their divorce was denied. He's trying to say to them, the marriage in which you have found yourself in, you need to remain faithful to God in all of this. There are situations, even today, where it is Wrong for a person to get into another marriage. In Romans chapter 7 and verses 1 through 4, Paul was explaining the relationship of a person to the Old Testament law and to the New Testament law. And he was using an illustration which they could understand. And he says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released 
from the law of her husband. So then while her husband lives, she marries another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if the husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. This passage clearly teaches is that if a person has a living spouse and they're not scripturally authorized by God to do so and to leave that person to marry and again is considered to be adultery. And verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another. That's when you understand that he's talking about you've got to be released from that Old Testament law before you can be then joined to the New Testament one. Now the final section in verses 25 through 40. And I want you to recognize this is a long section. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to select some verses out of it so that we can appreciate what he's meaning here by marriage delayed. Look with me, first of all, at verse 25. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. Verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. But I would spare you. Those are some very important words right there. If you drop down now to verses 36 through verse 38. But if any man thinks he's behaving improperly toward his virgin, if he, she is past the flower of her youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his own heart, having no necessity but has power over his own will and so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. And then finally, the section in verses 39 and 40. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. Now, there were two categories of people that should consider delaying marriage. Given the background of what Paul was describing here of this present distress... He was saying that there's two categories of people that ought to think about putting married off. And the first one is that of the virgins. Um, these virgins here that he's speaking of are young women who are of the age of marriageability, who perhaps want to marry, have children, and their fathers who would be arranging their marriages. And he says, if they marry, that's okay. But if they don't marry, that's better. You should consider, and he says, I want to spare you. That's the idea of sparing. And then the other category is the widows. In verses 39 and 40, he again looks at the widows and he's putting a limitation on there, only in the Lord. But then he says, I think she'll be happier 
and she remains as she is. So you start thinking about maybe there's times, maybe there's places where marriage should be delayed so that a person does not have undue stress and undue difficulties within that marriage. Now, summarizing it all, bringing it all together, marriage has an important impact on the family and the nation and the church. You think about what God designed. It was perfect. It was good. It was holy. It was righteous. But what happens sometimes when Satan enters into some of those within the marriage? Oh, it can become awful and it can become bad. And and you look at our nation where there's so many people who have decided they don't want to be married. Look at how many people have perverted God's plan for marriage. And look at how our nation is suffering. And it also affects the church. When you've got happy, loving homes, it makes for a happy, loving church as well. Marriage is a lifelong contract that should not be entered into lightly. I do know that when I prepare sermons or ceremonies for those young people getting married, occasionally a few older ones, the vows are extremely important. Because these are promises being made to one another and before witnesses to God. That I will do this, I will do that, I will be faithful. We learn in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 and 5, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. That means you need to think about what you are promising and what you are promising before God and make sure that you intend to keep those promises before Him. Faithfulness to one's spouse, faithfulness to one's family, and faithfulness to God. This morning we're going to sing, Bring Christ Your Broken Life. If your life is broken and you need God's forgiveness, we certainly can assist you this morning. It may be that you're here and you're not a Christian. You realize in the situation I'm in, I can't go to heaven. You can if you'll follow God's plan. That you believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. You're willing to repent of those sins that you've committed and then to be baptized for the remission of your sins based upon your confession of faith. We see that illustrated over and over in the book of Acts. That's the way people became Christians. Sometimes our lives become broken after we become Christians. And there's choices we make that are wrong and that are sinful. And God's merciful hand is extended toward us and says, Please come home, my child. I want you to come back. As we sing this song, if you need to respond, would you come as together we stand and sing?